I am Emily Lyons. In 2009, without a high school degree and no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. But since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be lifted and shifted by these people too. After all, all inspiring people are inspired people. So get ready to be inspired. This is Mind Your Business. All right. Tara, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on today. It sounds like you do some pretty interesting things, which I'm sure is in pretty high demand right now with all the uncertainty in the world. But I'd love it if you would give everybody a bit of a, an introduction to your background. Yeah. So my name is Tara Murphy. I am based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I spend winters down south. I'm so fortunate to, my boyfriend golfs for a living actually. So cold weather and golf doesn't really equal... <laughs> you know, a nice winter for him. So we've been spending the last few winters in Mexico, which is amazing. And I work day to day actually in finance and investment banking. But about three and a half, four years ago, just free pandemic, I started teaching because I taught a workshop with a girlfriend called Live Wealthy. It was about kind of financial health and then physical health. And I realized all of these women showed up and they don't have any idea what they should and shouldn't be doing when it comes to investing, you know, control over finances, mindset. And we're not taught this stuff in school. Like we don't get even basic budgeting or personal finance or credit information. So in that moment, I thought like, holy shit, there's a huge market for people, A, and B, I could really help women and entrepreneurs and young people to learn to create an abundance mindset and to learn to invest. And I could use all my finance background for a way that I could really help people. So since then, I've opened a consulting business and I coach people and I teach classes and I have a program. So I've really committed to getting the conversation with money started and really helping people kind of materialize what their dreams are through investing and managing their money more effectively. Wow, that's incredible. And it's true. So many of us don't have that knowledge that is so important. It's, it's so bizarre that that's not something that is taught to us. How to manage our money, yeah. how to stop living paycheck to paycheck, how to build wealth, all of those things. And it's so it's so interesting that we're not. And so walk me through kind of what you teach people. What are some of the big things that you go over and you teach them to learn to help them start to build that wealth? So first of all, I work with people, you know, of all ages, and I don't really have like an application for coaching, which some people I know that run businesses would fault me for, but I want everybody to really feel comfortable with me. And that's why on social and in my free classes and all my free resources, money is so personal. Money is something that people work hard for. They have, you know, a history, whether it comes from family or, you know, financial abuse exists and all these other things. So money is a very touchy subject. And the fact that yes. people even trust me to talk about, you know, or open up about money, etc. Like we come from generations before who didn't talk about money. So 
a lot of people, I start kind of there or they're like, oh, Tara, I want to learn to invest. And this is my goal. And we work backwards. But we realize when we're working together, you know, there's a lot to unpack, to be honest, because if you're looking like 2022, most Googled finance topics, it's yeah, how to make money, how to invest. But it's also I feel anxiety about money. I feel stress. I don't feel in control of my finances. I don't know how to grow my wealth. You know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with money. So all of these things I work with clients on because yeah, I can teach you with the numbers, how to invest, where to invest. Ooh, energy's up this year. We can talk about all that all day long. But if you are still thinking negatively about your money story or history or mindset, you know, fear, all those things, it's going to derail you anyway. And my goal is if anyone wants to be less stressed and finances stress you out, it's like A plus B equals C. Figure that out equals less stress and you sleep easier and you feel, you know, more in control of your life. Yes. It kind of sounds like money confidence. (laughs) Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Kind of. But it's true. So many of us are afraid to talk about it. We've been taught that it's a taboo subject that we shouldn't talk about. So we don't ask questions. We don't reach out to people that do what we want to do. And we don't do things like ask for more money when we feel like we really deserve it. And so it gets so many people stuck in that rut Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to get out of it. And like you said, it creates that feeling around money and being that icky subject. So we really have to change the narrative. And I think women more so than men for sure have this issue with money and speaking about it. Yeah, big time. And you know, like I follow you and I saw, and I know this is like, see, money gets so personal, but I saw you lost somebody and I think it was your sister. And I don't mean to, you know, bring all this up because it's a podcast and a conversation, but life happens. Mm -hmm. And even when we're talking about money, we're talking about life and we're talking about death and we're talking about the good, the bad, the ugly, and having control over your finances in emergencies like that. Or God forbid, wealth planning. Like what if you have children that you leave behind? What if your husband manages the finances and something tragic happens to your person? Like not to be dark about it. I always want to motivate and inspire people. But, you know, you want to feel comfortable. Like no matter what happens in your life, who comes, like things happen. And you want to make sure that your family is set, that you are set, that your people are comfortable, that at least there's an understanding like, No one will lose their home. We know how to pay for our mortgage and this and that. So I just feel like it's so, so important. And that's why I have made it such a shift in my kind of career and business from corporate world to know I could really help people no matter their age, if they're afraid they can't retire or if they have lost somebody or if they're going through divorce or if they're 20 and they're like, I just want to be rich, bitch, you know, like it's (laughs) whatever. Whatever the circumstance is, you know, everybody's story is different. And there are so many reasons why finances and getting rid of that shame, guilt, negativity is so important because everyone deserves to be wealthy. It's not hard. It's basically like, again, A plus B with your local bank. And, you know, more people should have access to that kind of thing. It's even the sayings we have around money, you know, like money is the root of all evil and money doesn't buy happiness. But I would say, yes, it does because it buys time. It buys support in emergencies. It buys peace of mind. It buys the ability to care for your loved ones. All of those things, which if you don't have it, and it's not to say that if you get money, you're automatically going to be happy. But, you know, if you are struggling, like I would rather be 
struggling while I have a beautiful home and cars, knowing that my money's taken care of than having all that other stress on top of it and having to worry about all of those things. So even those sayings that are so ingrained in our culture of how we're supposed to think about money and that it's not this good thing, that it shouldn't be what we're after. But yes. Right. Yeah. And I think it's really important to note too, like, okay, people can argue money doesn't buy happiness or there's no money. Okay. The 1% still is unhappy. Fine. You have to find your inner happiness. You have to be happy, but you're right. It provides you support. It makes life easier. And anybody who looks at me and tells me that having more financial freedom makes your life harder is lying. Like I will call BS on that all day because there's no way you can give more when you have more, you can, you know, share the love more when you have more, you have more control. And I think women now, especially and entrepreneurs and people, the control aspect is what, you know, a lot of anxiety stems from. And even if you make not that much a year, it's not the denomination that really matters. It's not like I need more, more, more. It's having a plan and understanding what's happening with your current situation means less stress. If you know, okay, I have $2,000 a month. This is how I allocate it. And this is what makes me happy. And this is whatever you can live day to day without stress. That number could be 10,000 or 2000. Your expenses can be whatever, but in your own personal situation, it doesn't matter how much money you make, as long as you're doing the best you can with it. And you're acknowledging your challenges with money and you're working on steps forward, then you really can live a life of financial freedom. Doesn't matter what that number looks like. Hmm, That's interesting. I think that a lot of people really underestimate how easy it is to make more money. You know, and I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday who's an employee and they hate their job. You know, they're stuck in that rat race. And we were talking about some of the different things that some of the different revenue streams that we have within the different companies. And they were like, oh my gosh, didn't even think of that. You know, it's little things. And when you start to look into them and start to figure out these little side hustles that you can add on to whatever it is you're doing that isn't limited by your time, that's on autopilot, whether it's, you know, doing what you do, where you take some sort of knowledge or expertise and turn it into coaching, consulting or courses where you just create this digital asset that you can sell again and again and again. And it's not limited by your time, but there are so many different opportunities out there. And so for the people that are stuck in that rat race, I really think everybody needs to be looking for for those opportunities where it's not exchanging the time just for money, but for other things that you can do, because I really feel that that is the way that we make significant wealth. And especially when it's integrated with something that you love, when it's integrated with that passion, you know, if you're teaching something that you're really passionate about it, I don't know, for me, it never feels like work. And those always seem to be the most profitable things because of that, because you're just so determined to see it succeed. And you just love the process and you go above and beyond and just ends up being so successful. And I just wish that more people knew that there were so many opportunities out there, so many little things that you can do. Yeah. And I think that you're totally right. To be honest, I think a lot of people know in quotations because people can't see me know that there are ways out there. I think people are afraid to Mm. step into them. I think like that quiet quitting. I just heard about quiet quitting on, I think, TikTok (laughs) the other day. I'm like, what's quiet quitting? But I feel like a lot of quiet quitting. Oh, okay. So this is new to me. Welcome to the conversation about (laughs) quitting. But it's when employees are kind of softly negating their 
responsibilities or if they're in a job where they're feeling burnt out, they're boundarying more. It sounds like it's just normal boundaries and healthy boundaries, but in the rat race workplace, those have kind of been blurred for so many years that people now are like waiting two, three hours to reply to an email during their workday instead of right away or on purpose, or they're taking a sick day with no explanation on purpose, or they're quiet quitting is kind of like, hey, I'm boundarying my employer. And either they fire me and I get pushed out, but I'm making sure I'm setting these boundaries quietly without, you know, explicitly saying, and there's like tips online, how to quiet quit or how to set these boundaries. And it's so interesting to me because it's like, if you're that unhappy with work and your life that people, there's this phenomenon now called quiet quitting. It's like, of course you have to make a change. And like you said, if people realize actually how easy it is It's not the most difficult thing in the world to create other sources of income through things you love. Quiet quitting, you know, doesn't exist. So it's just so interesting that you bring that up because yeah, money aside, just ourselves and our career work life, the balance is always tough. Like I'm going through it right now and I'm sure my employers don't love me, you know, on social media talking about this and doing my own thing, but It's like I have a corporate life and a corporate ladder I can climb, or I have this beautiful coaching consulting business that I can really elevate. And I'm stuck because they pay you here all the time. And this is hard work. And it's both hard work, but you know, every human being goes through that shift where it's like, ah, can they buy me? You know, how much am I worth? Exactly. It's interesting when I think back to when I first started in entrepreneurship, because it was 13, almost 14 years ago now. And so much has changed. You know, back then it was, you had to go all in. You had to like mortgage your home or whatever it was. I mean, I didn't have any of that, but for a lot of people, you didn't have the ability to be able to do a side hustle. But now with the way that the internet is and how the world operates, you can start something where you just do it a couple hours a week. You don't even have to put any money into it. You don't even really have to change. I mean, you can do a drop shipping website and you can set it up within an hour of right. where... You're putting your own designs that you could do on your own on Canva onto shirts or mugs and you promote that on social media and then you just drive traffic to there every few days. And there you go. It might not make you a millionaire, but a couple extra hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks that maybe you put in just a savings account or you get tips from Tara on how to invest that properly. And that ends up being a huge game changer for you. Yeah, it's so funny. And I'm always like, I was talking to my mother earlier, actually. I'm like, I wonder, mom, when I'm just going to have one job, like just (laughs) one job, you know, because I have rental properties. So I'm a landlord. I run an Airbnb for myself. So I'm a host and I have my corporate job and I work in investment banking and I coach. It's like sometimes it becomes confusing and overwhelming, Mm -hmm. but other times it's like, I love to do every different part of what I'm doing. And I'm here on a Friday afternoon talking to you and having an amazing conversation that probably wouldn't have opened up for me if I had one job. And then I clocked in, clocked out. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't ever regret it or feel disappointed. It's just such a different era than, okay, doctor, lawyer, you know, teacher, whatever. 
that you get to kind of create your life and your job. And that's a lot of that is what I teach, even in my money mindset stuff, like dream bigger, 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 bigger. Okay, mm. cool. You love those goals. Like what about after that? Because you're limiting, you're limiting. Like, what do you really want? Because people think they can't attain it. They think I'm afraid it's intimidating. I'm not worthy. Like all of that bullshit needs to go because you are worthy. Every single human being is worthy of whatever you want. You just have to be willing to do the work that it takes to get there and it will come to you. Mm-hmm. Setting those goals, figuring out where you want to go and then figuring mm-hmm. out how you're going to get there. Yeah. And I know that you talked to about learning to monetize your passions. What are some of the things that you teach around that? Like, I know that this is an interesting topic and, and some people actually say, which I think is pretty funny, that you shouldn't monetize your passions, that it's... Interesting. Uh, yeah, I know. It's not funny because I really think it's so silly. But I'm like, did the, the Fortune 500 pay them to say that? Like, <laughs> what are some of the things that you teach people? Like, how do you get started with that? How do you figure out what that is? How do you figure out the monetization path? Yeah. So I think I have a client that actually wants to work with me regularly. And we had our first session and it was kind of, they um, people unpack for me. Well, these are all my finances. This is what I do for a living. This is what I'm interested in, whatever. And I kind of take a step back and I look at it as a coach or as a mentor, whichever. And I'm like, wow, in this call, she mentioned like four different times that she's interested in motivational speaking or coaching other women mm-hmm. and went through like a huge life transformation. She's mentioned this as like, kind of a pillar. And I know you talk about branding a lot. You're a branding queen, but kind of as a pillar, it's like people don't even realize they need somebody else to listen to them to say like, Hey, you highlighted this for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I always send them post-session notes. And I encourage people that I work with, if they want to go into kind of the business side of coaching, not just personal finance, that they need to ask themselves because somebody asked me this question when I was like 21 years old, bartending, still in school. Somebody said, Tara, what would you do if you could work for free? If money didn't exist and you would get paid what you wanted and you had a comfy life, what would you do? And at that time I was still in school for finance. And I said, you know what? I would teach people how to invest their money. And I would help people feel better about their worthiness when it came to money. And then 10 years later, I'm doing that. And the money comes with it because it's what I would do for free anyway. So I always ask my students, what is it that you would do for free? Okay, we don't work for free. No one works for free. Your value, your time is value, all of that. I'm not encouraging people to intern, but <laughs> I'm encouraging them to really ask themselves, are you a new mom and you're finding like a love, love, love for something in the mom realm? Mm-hmm. Hey, how can we monetize that? How can we turn that into a business? Is it a product? Is it a course? Is it you know speaking? Is it encouraging other moms and helping them? So I just think the root of it is what do you love? to do so that it doesn't feel like work. And then what route can we take to get there where it actually can turn into income? And then how can we take that income, invest it so that eventually you're really not working at all. You get to choose what you want every day, no matter if you love it or not. I love that. What would you do for free? (laughs) Now, (laughs) who's getting hammered right now in the stock market and in my crypto? And my NFTs, but everything is, is down, down, down pretty much for real estate. What are you telling people to invest in right now? Yeah. So if the people have been following me all year and people think I'm crazy, but then they watch and it's August and it's 
not been wrong. Not that I can predict anything and I don't claim to, but always, always, always is what I teach my students to is investing. First and foremost, you want to have like your portfolio with your value-based companies. Like you want to make sure you have your Costco's, Disney's. You want to make sure no matter stock markets up or down that you have your companies that aren't going anywhere. Banks are never going anywhere. Again, like staples, like a Levi's, a Costco, you know, an Amex, those types of things are not going anywhere. So I tell people that's your foundation. And then there's a part that you can play with and that you can trade, which means like short term, not day to day, but like not keeping for 50 years in your bank account. And then that can shift based on what's going on in the world. So this year, This year I've been preaching and I've been posting and telling people and it's like they watch, but they don't listen. It's the same as you tell people you can monetize easily. They watch, but they don't listen. And this year energy. Okay. Some people are like, you're so unethical, Tara, like whatever, Russia, Ukraine, but you want to know where the money is this year. It's energy, oil, gas, and coal. The sector itself is up like 47% year to date since January, when the rest of the market is down 7%. So that's a 47% increase when everybody else is losing in the market. My stocking horse this year has been energy. Even energy had like a shitty two months in the last few months, but we're still up 47% on the year as a sector. There's one ETF that I love, which is volatile, which, you know, if it's not within your risk tolerance, I don't recommend, this is not financial advice, hashtag, but I have invested in this year an ETF called NRGU. It's based on energy, oil, gas, coal, and it's up 209% year to date. So I feel like no matter what's going on in the market, anytime, there are opportunities all the time. I don't encourage people to be too high risk. I don't encourage people to put all their money in one thing. But this is what I work with people on within my coaching to make sure, okay, do we have your foundation set up? Now you have 10%, 20%, whatever you're comfortable with to play. Let's play to make those like 200% returns this year and see how we go. Hmm. See, I always get nervous. when something's way up to buy in at that point, I always feel like I should buy when it's down. Yeah. So a lot of people feel that way. And That's also to do with your mindset, right? So again, if you're looking at things, not taking into consideration the news, not taking into consideration what the media is saying, if you're looking at things based on the numbers and the facts and history, then Mm. you can do it a lot more objectively. And Mm. people have kind of a block when it comes to the market, because if it dips too low, they're like, oh my God, it's going down. It's going down further. I have to sell. And then people panic sell. So like number one rule, I always tell, like there are times to buy and sell. My program goes over, you know, when to buy, when to sell, all those things. But people mentally, when it's going down and it keeps going down, they're stressed, they sell, they're not buying, even though they should be buying then. And when it goes up, people are trying to ride the wave and they also buy at the top and it might go back down. So you also have to start thinking about, okay, yes, buying the dip. That's the strategy of buying when it's down. But there's also a strategy called buy high, sell higher. It's like, People who thought Apple 10 years ago or when it went through the tech boom, that was it. You know, look at what we've done now. Or Tesla. Tesla went up and then down and back up. And, you know, Tesla's a company that's not going to go bankrupt, in my opinion. So Mm -hmm. you can buy high and sell higher. And that phenomenon, once you get through that in your brain, like if you're buying for the right reasons, A, because 
history says that it's going to go up or B, you believe in the company long-term, they're a solid company like a Tesla or a Disney or an Amazon or whatever. Like you can't convince me that Amazon stock is going to go to zero. You cannot convince me of that ever. So again, they're expensive to purchase some of these companies and stocks, but you can buy high, sell higher completely. I try to just not look at them for the most part. (laughs) That's a good strategy, actually. (laughs) I just put it away and I'm like, okay. (laughs) But uh, no, I got an email on something today. So I logged in. I saw and I was like, that's a little bit disappointing. Do you do anything in crypto? I do. I I was involved in some like crypto nodes project back in the day. And I have crypto a part of my strategy, but it's not like the bread and butter of (laughs) what I invest in. The rule of thumb in finance is about 10% of your portfolio can and should be in you know, those alternatives like crypto. So I kind of hold that same premise. But if I spent as much time understanding crypto, like I understand the stock market, then perhaps I would be more heavily vested there. It's definitely part of my strategy. And I definitely advise, you know, like be open to crypto. I don't think that it's going anywhere anytime soon, but a little more volatile. So it's based up, you know, on your appetite as far as risk is concerned. I did pretty well with ApeCoin. Oh, do you remember that yeah. one a couple of months ago? Yeah, yeah. It's See, still, those are fun. Yeah, it's still doing well. But I wish I had only uh, it sold about half of it and then I kept a bunch and now it's way down. But I think it's a solid coin. Solid. Yeah, there's a few others. Like always, always like Bitcoin is going to be the cash cow of everything. Like that's going to determine. It does determine. But there's also all of the coins like Solana. I had a big hop there one year. And ADA, ADA is another one that I you know think long term has good potential. It's the same kind of as the stock market. There are like one-off companies that are going to be hot and trending. There are the same with crypto. And they're also like, again, like your Costco's, your Disney's, your Tesla's, there's Amazon stocks, and then there's your Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So kind of the same mirrored theory where it's like your Bitcoin is like your one that you know, it's not disappearing. The rest of them are more volatile. Same Mm -hmm. as in the stock market. GameStop is more volatile, but a lot of people made a lot of money, myself included, trading that stuff. But Mm -hmm. it's not something that I recommend like new investors or people who want to be completely passive and want to wait just for their retirement shouldn't be, you know, trading or looking into like the mean stop world, mean stock world. Mm, Yeah. I liked ApeCoin specifically. Well, a friend recommended it, but because it was released by the the biggest NFT company that's ever had one, the Bored Apes, the famous Bored Apes. And I think that the way that they've done things is pretty incredible. And they've got a lot of big companies accepting it exclusively and things like that. So that's why I held it. And and I think that it'll continue to go up. I think it'll be one of those ones that becomes like a blue chip. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be happy to see in a few years. Like the whole world crypto is so fascinating. (laughs) NFTs is so fascinating because even like TikTok and finance preneurs or finance influencers, whatever, it's Mm -hmm. all so interesting. I love it because it's more people talking about money and it's more people being like, oh, I'm going to invest and play. And if they're going to go, you know, as far as doing that with crypto, then definitely in these safe positions in the stock market, those blue chips and value companies, then it will drive more people investing in the stock market, young people, instead of just money managers. And then that's going to drive the stock prices up for decades to come. The younger the people start, the more money that's going to go into the market and the higher the prices are going to go. So it's just feeding the economy and feeding those companies and feeding 
you know, our whole strategy and finance further when people are interested and talking about it and moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend people do their own trading and buying and all that? This is a very good question because a lot of people, again, it's how passive and active you want to be and who you are. Like I have learned to do what I'm doing and I enjoy it. I actually enjoy choosing my companies. I enjoy going through the fun facts and looking at everything. I enjoy that. And other people do not. They just want their 10% every year. They're like, Tara, I want to have 2 million by this age. How do we do it? Show me. I'm done. I have no interest in this. Mm -hmm. And there's other people that are like, oh, I have a lot of interest in this. Could you please talk to me about what you look for when you pick a stock or about reading through these facts? And I don't want to pay the fee because I can do it myself. Mm -hmm. So I think having a combination is great because I set up even personally auto investments Not robo, robo is different, but automatic investments going to things I've chosen. Mm -hmm. I set that up because then I don't have to be as active, but I also enjoy choosing where it goes. A lot of these like well simple, Mm -hmm. just gonna tell you right now and like sorry, well simple, but they have a phenomenal marketing team, a phenomenal, Mm -hmm. you know, strategy and getting new investors, but their portfolios are crap. As far as I'm concerned, I have had so many clients come to me. Well, simple. Are you? Yeah. So see, I don't mean it like it's great to be, you know, in the habit of getting, but where they choose to put people's money, like a client came to me last week and was like, okay, I have a good chunk of money and wealth simple. And I said, can you find out what portfolio do they have you in based on your risk? And then can you please pull the fun facts for me? They're called where you can read through what companies you own, what positions you own, whatever. This woman, she was like in her 30s, early 30s. They had her in more bonds than I would ever put my mother even in, in her 60s. They had her in more global equity, which like this year, that's not somewhere you want your money to be in global equity. If you're US and Canada, Uh go for US and Canada. And the wealth simple robo portfolio she was in had a huge percentage of bonds, which are like, okay, give you the lowest return. They're the safest investment. So great but like for retirees almost. And then a lot in global equity. And I know this is like way off from like our money mindset and our whatever conversation. But again, you're taking well, simple as taking people's money, having them do a survey saying, we're going to invest for you. And then people are wondering why they're not seeing decent returns. And she said it was actually tough for her to find the fun facts and to find what was part of that portfolio. And you don't really have a choice with well, simple when you're doing like their robo program, you can go into one of their portfolios, but you can't say like, Oh, I prefer to be out of this ETF in this one. So I just feel like having autonomy over where you're investing. Like I think she was making 6% return a year. I could have given her one ETF, just put your money one place. And it's like 13% a year through CIBC, like through a regular bank, basic fund, low fees, and it's making double. And over time, that return will be the difference literally of hundreds of thousands of dollars in this woman's life. So changing that and just knowing the difference. And this is what upsets me because while simple is amazing, again, to get people like, okay, we trust you. Let's put 200 bucks a month. Let's do this. Like I am making a return. Look, I'm investing, but it's negligent, in my opinion, when somebody doesn't have any idea of, you know, I'm investing in global equity in a year where there's like a war in Russia and Ukraine. So I just feel like having more choice and autonomy, whether your money is managed for you or you manage it, it's just my opinion. 
I have both with them. So I have one where it's, they manage it. And then I have one where I manage it and I go in and buy my own stuff. But that's interesting. That is. So I would say, Emily, I would be like, oh, okay. On Monday, I'm going to pull my returns. I'm going to see what they've been for the last year, how long I've been. And I'm going to ask, you know, what I'm invested in. And maybe if you can, that client that I had, her homework was to go back to Wealth Simple and see if she could change and modify her portfolio. So it's more US equities and less bonds, and it's a different portfolio. If the answer was yes, she could shift it and change, then maybe we'll keep that strategy because she does like the robo part of like automating. Yep. If no, then we're going to reallocate it within Wealth Simple, but in her own account where she gets to choose where she's putting that money. So I just think even for you, I would say, yeah, go and check. It might be great. You might be happy with the returns. You might see that they have you in US equities. But again, a lot of people just fill out their survey and don't know or don't have any idea where you know their money is going. Yeah, no, I have no idea. I didn't even think about that. Huh. I know. See, it's like a trick. It's like, we got you and it's good. It's not bad. It's like you're in the habit of investing. Like I said, it's great marketing because well, simple makes people feel comfortable. But yeah. again, it's like if you're managing your own money, you know exactly where it's going. If somebody else is managing your money, okay, you can maybe speak to them. If it's an advisor, you could call or whatever. So your goals are aligned. People also forget, and this is another tip even for you, Emily, and all these other people, is that if you set up your wealth simple or, you know, with an advisor or even your own investments, let's say 25 years old or a few years ago, your life and priorities have changed by the time you're 30, 35, 40, 45, and people forget to go and change that. So people forget, like as you're younger, you can be high risk because especially if you don't need the money and it's going into your long-term investments, you could be as high risk as you want to be because you have time in those portfolios to ride out the waves. Like the stock market has always, always recovered every crash, every whatever. As you get older, you have to shift those risk tolerances and people kind of forget to go back to their advisor or maybe someone's family planning. So at the time they set it up, they're like a little more conservative. Then their kids are older and they're like, oh, we can throw more in now, but they're throwing it in the same conservative space that they were, you know, when they were having babies. So people forget to change, like it can change your financial goals and investments can change as you, you know, grow through life. Yes, it does change. That's interesting as well for people to remember. Is there any point when things are going down that you do recommend people sell and exit? Because I don't, because I'm just like, I'm not going to get to the panic selling and right. I hate to sell at a loss for anything. So I'd rather just wait and see it go to zero than ever, you know, be like, yeah, I'm going to go down with that ship. <laughs> yeah. So in my program, I outline when to buy, when to sell. And these are benchmarks. Okay. Because everybody, of course, is very different. The yeah. only times I would ever say, you know, like pat yourself on the back to sell is if you're not heavily diversified, all of your stocks or positions are in the same sector mm -hmm. and it's gone down, not substantial where you, you know, can't make it up, but you want to use the money to reallocate in a different sector within your portfolio. So let's say I only invest in tech and tech is down this year, but I know energy is a good sector and I see the returns energy is making. So perhaps even at a loss, I will sell a portion of my tech position within my portfolio to reallocate it to energy so that I can have the funds to get the upside of energy. So if you're reallocating and rebalancing and you're okay to cut the loss with what it is to make sure that your portfolio looks better, 
with the times we're in now, then that's okay, in my opinion, to sell. If you look at a company and the company has had like a management change, for example, or they've been acquired, for example, and you foresee something happening in that company where it really is going to go down and lose value long-term, then again, permission to sell so that you can maybe place the funds in a different place where you're more confident or whatever. But I am of the opinion like you, if there's just a dip and it's a normal market dip or it's because you know there's an inflation report, so people are panicking, I'm not selling any of my positions that I have purchased for long term ever. So I'm like you, like I'd rather them go to zero because I don't think they will than sell them. But in the event you're rebalancing or, okay, if you need the money, like I always tell people, you're not investing money you need, but people don't listen and they do. Mm-hmm. If you need the money, you know, and is a volatile year like this one and you're down $200 and you need it, like don't sit there and watch it go down another 10, up another, like if you need it, you need it. And lesson learned, it shouldn't mean that you're not getting back into the market later. But those are really the only times I would say like, okay, let's sell and reposition and rebalance and come up with a better plan than we did the first time. Mm, I like that. I like that strategy. Somebody was saying recently, I don't know if you know Grant Cardone. Mm -mm. He's a TV personality and he's a real estate investor. And he was saying that really investing is not the place to go, you know, in conventional investing that just real estate, focus on real estate, because that's the only thing that's certain with going up and you can't make money on the stock market unless you sell. And so you're saying, yeah. And what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, people who invest in real estate, I invest in real estate. I have two properties. They make me income every single month. I love it. I'm looking to buy a third property and planning for that. But, you know, I also have my stock market positions and my crypto as part of my portfolio. If you are solely invested in one sector, whether it is real estate or, you know, the banks or stock markets or whatever it is, I don't agree with choosing one and sticking to it because everything changes. The world changes and you don't want all your eggs in one basket. Like there is nobody that has ever had success in investing that would agree that all of your eggs in one basket is the way to go. What if like 2008, a housing crash happens? People aren't fortunate to have no mortgages these days and interest rates are high and whatever. So although I think real estate is a very important part of your portfolio, homeownership, you know, the passive income you can make, rental income, all the stuff. I don't think that, I think someone would be crazy to say you can't make money in the stock market because look around you, you know, for decades since 1920, you know, if you put your money in, I was doing this for a client the other day, since 1920, every scenario that you could come up with, whether it was bonds or stocks or GICs or mutual funds or ETFs, anything, even if it was real estate in the stock market, if you held for three years or longer since 1920, you've made a return. You've made a positive return every sector in the stock market, all 11 sectors, if you've waited three years. So it's just a game of patience and it's a game of, yeah, I definitely don't agree with that statement, but I also don't disagree that real estate is a cash cow in its own right and it will go up and it's guaranteed to go up. That's fine. But real estate's guaranteed to go up, what, like 10 to 20%. Whereas I just talked about an ETF that made me 209% this year. And not to say that I put all my money there or that, you know, that's the return you're going to make every year or whatever. But for someone to say there's no money to be made there is a little naive, I would think. Yeah. Totally. 
I love reading about Warren Buffett. I've loved reading about him yeah. for years and just the way that he does things. I think he's so interesting all around, even as a human. I mean, yeah. he, he gets McDonald's every day for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, every day he gets the same thing from McDonald's. Lives like yeah. super, super humble life and is donating pretty much all of his money to charity when he goes. Yeah, his strategy and, you know, new age investors kind of knock him and his strategy because they don't think it's that fun and it's not sexy and it doesn't involve, you mm -hmm. know, crypto or meme stocks or whatever. And it doesn't involve, you know, having a big real estate sector in his portfolio. But Warren Buffett figured it out and he figured out that making it as simple and easy as possible and then doing nothing is always a win. It's the same as I just was like every time, every single sector, if you wait three years plus, every sector has gone up. And that's the Warren Buffett being like, if I'm just looking at those numbers, if it ain't broke, I'm not going to fix it. That's the <laughs> whole Warren Buffett. Like I'm going to go for the big value companies. I don't need 200% a year. I like a 10 to 15 to 20%. I'm going to do it. I get dividends back. And I'm rich and I'm wealthy. And his method is foolproof because if you sit there like you do and you don't even look, like especially pandemic, my mother, for example, I manage most of her finances and help her there. And she's pushing on retirement soon. And she was panicking in the pandemic because of course her retirement, everything's invested and it went down like significant amounts. And yeah. I told her, it's like, should I sell Tara? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, mom, just relax. I'll take a look at it. I'll moderate every month. I actually was purchasing more for her in that time, but like letting her know things are going to be fine. There was one account. We didn't buy anything. We didn't sell anything. We just left it there. It went down probably 35% with the pandemic. And less than a year later, it was up 20% of the high that it was prior. So wow. had she sold just one like fund, not a bunch of different positions and one TD bank fund that her bulk of her retirement is in just one went down and then went back up and now it's still prevailing. So if she would have sold and been like, oh, I'm just going to wait until a better time and I'm stressed and happy with it right now, you know, that's how people feel. They're like, oh, I'd rather have this much than it go lower but ride it out. You have time, ride it out. Like I said before, there has never, ever, ever, ever in the history of the stock market been a crash, a depression, a recession, a correction that hasn't recovered ever. So it's when I'm teaching people this and they have the fear or it's too risky, whatever. If you don't need the cash for you know a home or a baby or this, or if you don't need the cash, what is more guarantee for you than Ever in history, there's never been a correction that hasn't returned to new all-time highs. I don't understand anything in the world that is more of a guarantee than, you know, this has happened every time in history. So to me, even myself with 2020 and this year's market, like I don't love to look at my portfolio and I don't love to see the numbers go down, but I have to even remind myself, Tara, you know what you're doing. You know what history says, look at the numbers, like check your emotions at the door you're going to be fine. Like we're going to be Gucci, no stress. It's like the media drives the stress because you yeah. know, that's the job. And when you think about it, like Warren Buffett, there is no stress to be had because it's a guarantee in the way that he has invested. Is there anything you tell people to stay away from? Yeah. And it's funny because you said, I heard this from a friend and it did well for you. 
the only two times now it's two, I recorded a podcast like two years ago and I said the only time, but since then I've done this again, stupid. I didn't take my own advice, (laughs) but the only two times I've lost significant money or it like went to zero were times when a friend told me to invest in something and I didn't do my research or Mm -hmm. look into it, or I wasn't really caring about understanding what it was. Mm -hmm. One of the companies went bankrupt. Another of the projects I invested in like turned out to be a flop and it was speculative and whatever. So I feel like be careful with what you know, you are seeing on TikTok and what you are seeing from a friend of a friend or someone's husband said, you know, invest in this or whatever, because, you know, a lot of the times when you're catching on as like the fourth telephone, people have already made the money, the good money. And like, it's going to be a Dogecoin situation where, you know, you might be too late. So I feel like nobody should play with fire in that aspect. If you can't explain to me what you're purchasing, then, you know, Warren Buffett says that too. If you can't break it down in like layman's terms for me and you don't know what it is, then you shouldn't be putting your money there, first of all. And second of all, I tell people to remember, you don't have to purchase, you know, a stock right outright of everything. Like I have a thousand dollars to invest. I'm buying this position with all thousand. You can space it out over time. You don't have to buy one position with all your money and you also don't have to put all your money at once. So if you have a thousand dollars to invest, you can put a hundred this month, a hundred next month, a hundred the month after. It doesn't have to be, you know, all in in one thing situation, and it shouldn't be. I just, you know, if we're going like basic financial advice, make sure you know what's going on with your money and your finances. Have a strategy and a goal so you can work backwards, and then stay unemotional as you can when you're investing and trading and whatever, because you don't want to be stuck in the position where you've listened to somebody. And you put a big chunk in there because you trust the people and, you know, that was the wrong move. So that's my don't do (laughs) and like where not to invest is in anywhere that you're really not certain or you could explain it to me. Oh, that's really, really good advice. I know that, yeah, the biggest times I've lost money is taking advice from friends. You got to get into this. And then it's hard because you do get that emotion, right? You get so excited yeah. and so fired up and like, oh my God, da, 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 da. And you feed off one another and then it, that emotion does come into play. And so, yeah. There's, bias. there's some bias there, right? Like you have to have your strategy and plan, but when there's like, oh, we're in it together and I trust this person. And it's just, like I said, money, it's your money. It's not like play money and tokens. So there's a lot to be made out there, but this is also how people lose money. And it's so interesting, Emily, I was reading, I think a few years ago, I was reading that like 80% of people that lose money in that capacity, like in a big sharp way or an emotional way, or they make it wrong, they never enter the stock market again in that same capacity. So you're also like mentally railroading yourself rather than taking it slow and steady and making like strategic and comfy and happy. Also, people forget that my risk tolerance is different than yours. Just because we're both maybe the same age or whatever, if someone's like, oh, you should invest in that, they might be willing to risk it all because they just got a big paycheck bonus, whatever that they don't know. They might not know that you're sitting on this cash and it was for your next home. And now you might risk losing it all. So people don't talk about that when they're like, Oh, this is a good one to buy, you know? And that's what I talk about with my students. Like, Hey, what's your threshold? Like if we're going down 20%, how sick does that make you? Or are you cool to let it ride out? You know, like these are the questions I make different recommendations for people based on when I know them, I know their goals. Do you have a baby on the way? Like I'm not recommending these five things. If you do, I'm protecting you. 
So people have to remember that as well, that our journeys aren't one and the same, even when it comes to your risk tolerance. It's like when you're at a restaurant, I'm rambling now, I'm sorry, but when you're at a restaurant with your friends who are very similar, like-minded people to you, you're not all picking the same thing on the menu. Like you don't love to eat the exact same thing and that's okay. But it's same with your financial appetite, you know? No, when I'm investing, I go into it. I try to anyways with, if I lose this, I'm okay. And do you think that's a good strategy for people to do? Yeah, that's like the number one. That's why women honestly make better investors than a lot of men, because I feel like women, even with our purchasing decisions, women, I feel like are different emotionally when it comes to money. So if we're able to separate, like I'm purchasing this, I'm owning this choice, no matter what happens to it, so much less stress, A, and B, the passive investor that you are, Emily, makes it for so much more profit and return in the future because you're not going in there having an ego being like, it's down 10%. I made the wrong choice. I'm going to sell it and buy this instead. A lot of men and male investors do that because, oh, I saw my friend's portfolio. It's 32% this year. So I'm going to sell all these things and try this, or I'm going to mortgage my house. And, you know, women, I feel like take the ego part out of finance and we're a little more rational Mm -hmm. and you're the best type of student or client or investor around because when you aren't looking like my mom, she didn't look from before pandemic till after pandemic. And I told her, this is the number now. She's like, no, that can't be right. We had a pandemic. We can't get, you know, and like you and her are the best type of investor because you make an informed decision. You're comfortable with it. You pick good companies and positions and then you're out and then you're done and you just wait for the money to roll in. So great job. (laughs) <laughs> oh, thanks. When do you think it, like, how do you, like people say right now to buy the dip? Has it bottomed out? How do we know when it's bottomed out? How do we know when it's the best time to buy the dip? Yeah. So people were asking me in like January, February, March, like, oh, I'm buying the dip, Tara, whatever. They were past students, like messaging me positions they were buying. And I remember being like, okay, just letting you know, we're probably not at the bottom. So anticipate like another... dip here. Like we weren't anywhere close because you cannot predict it, but coming out of a pandemic, when people were handed stimulus, they were handed CERB in Canada, you know, interest rates were all time low. You were getting money and then it costs nothing to buy things. So of course there's a surplus, there's money in the stock market. People can afford houses. When they start taking those things away, it's like human behavior and psychology. What's going to happen? Oh my God, you need more cash. Well, you put your cash in your home. Now your home costs more. You put your cash in the market. So I anticipated post-pandemic when they raise interest rates, of course, people need their money. They're going to sell in the stock market. Stock market price is going to go down. So it's not a surprise to me that this year the markets are down. Everybody has just had like two years of handouts, you know, which people needed and whatever, but you have to correct it somehow. So I think in my best, you can never predict, and I'm not claiming that I do, but in my best case scenario, shoulder seasons typically in the year. So that's like the fall and then, you know, the winter Mm -hmm. outside of summer, typically in history perform better. Also, like even today, based on the news. So based on the news that came out today, the stock market had a sell-off. So there's some element of predictable behavior in people, but- I always say, if you're going to buy the dip and it's a company you're going to have long-term, it really shouldn't matter if it's Mm. the dip or not the dip. Because if it's like an Apple, I'm going to buy Apple or Amazon. Like one of you know my favorites. I'm going to buy Amazon today if it's down. I'm also going to buy it in two months if it's up 
at all time high. Like that's going to be in my portfolio forever. So I'm going to continue to buy it. It's not like I'm trying to time when I'm going to purchase it. I'm going to purchase it all the time. So most important takeaway is make your watch list and your foundation of I'm owning these positions. Am I covering most of the sectors in the stock market? Yes, I am. And you know I'm going to continue to buy them. It really shouldn't matter if it's the dip or not the dip if you're planning to hold like you and I are for like several years. I love that. How do people know like how the news correlates with investing though? Like, what do you mean a sell-off? What does that mean? Yeah. So for example, every year at Christmas, this is a good example too. Around Christmas time, they call it a Santa Claus rally. There's always in history, not every year, but historically, like this is why I love finance because you can read and you can predict and you can watch whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's called the Santa Claus rally where before Christmas or leading up to Christmas between like American Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's usually a rally in the stock market. Then you see a sell-off. So that means that the stock market rallies, which means it goes up in price because a lot of people are buying. So it Mm -hmm. drives prices up. Mm -hmm. And then, so let's say I put $5,000 in the market. Now it's $7,000. I'm so stoked. Santa Claus. Then I'm selling it. Then I'm selling it because I'm taking the money now. I'm spending on Christmas. I'm hoarding it for January. And then everyone together as a society is selling their profits. So the price goes down and the market dips. So we've seen four weeks in the last month of good gains, solid gains in the stock market. Today, there was a Fed meeting or something that came out in the States and, oh, people panic. And so they've made money in four weeks. They're selling institutions or whatever are selling drives the price down. So they're taking their profits and they're selling off and it will drive the price down. So just because the stock market went down today, doesn't mean Monday. Now people, it's like a cycle. Now people are like, Ooh, there's a dip. I'm going to buy it. And when I say people, I don't mean like you and me. Yes, you and me, but I also mean institutions, like people managing money, people managing funds for people. You have to think like, those are the big fish that actually make the moves. And they do that kind of based on cycles. And again, you can't predict anything. I never claim to predict anything. I just look at history. I look at patterns. I don't even, you know, analyze them with candlesticks or all these things traders do. I just look at the human psychology and, you know, I watch the patterns repeat. So for me, I'm on the sidelines too, because like today I didn't sell off because of the news. I'm like you and I'm long-term. I just watch and I, you know, have a mailing list where I send a monthly newsletter and this and that with things that I've noticed or that have happened in the month so that people are aware of them doesn't mean it has to impact your investment decisions. It really shouldn't and doesn't, but it's just funny to me from a human psychology perspective, watching everybody like sheep doing the same thing all the time. Love that. Now, one last question. How do people drop the panic and worry when it comes to money? Another good question. This is like such a great conversation. I hope people are really like, it's going to be overwhelming, I'm sure for people, but dropping panic and stress, like I have said a few times, I think when you are comfortable with your finances, again, no matter what they are, this could be a very tight time. Maybe you're unemployed, you lost your job, you're stressed, you're whatever. If you have a plan for the next three, six, nine months, and if you feel comfortable with your plan, and if you talk about your challenges and you acknowledge your mindset and your money challenges, then your stress is going to decrease significantly. The panic is going to decrease significantly. Same as if you're making tons of money. Like I'm going to use my brother as an example. He's making great money. He's whatever. His house is worth a lot of money. Now he wants bigger and better. 
Mm. And his wife is going on maternity leave. So she's going to take a pay cut and blah, 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 blah. So he's like, Tara, buy this home, this new home and sell mine. Or do I wait? And I'm like, will you be financially stressed? Is it a stretch for you? Even with all your new money and this and that. And he's like, well, yeah, just because she's going on maternity leave and this and that, like, it's not really the best time. He answered his own question. No matter how much money you have and how much you've made on your home or this and that, if it's going to put you in a place where day to day, you're going to be stressed, it's going to lead to panic and it's going to lead to strain on your relationship. It's going to lead to strain on how you feel. I know when my stock prices or my positions or whatever are down, my mood is not as good as if I see it go up. And really that number doesn't matter to me because I'm not buying or selling and that's going to change over time. So it shouldn't matter, but I'm a human being and it does. So even me who knows exactly what I should be doing causes panic. So I think remaining in a position where you have your plan I know what my struggles are mentally, you know, with money and abundance and whatever. I work on them. I try and help clients do the same. I think a lot of the stress and panic goes away when you have that kind of understanding because you feel like you're in control. And human beings that feel like they're in control innately don't panic as often or don't feel as stressed. So I think people don't relate that enough. They see control as like controlling money, but it's really having control over your own. Like people make purchasing decisions every single day, whether it's a coffee, a new home or whatever. So feeling control in those moments, like I know that I can afford this. I know that I can't. I know that this is my next step. I think that it alleviates like most of the panic. sounds to me like the biggest thing that you're saying is to get clarity around your targets, your goals, what you can afford, what you can't, what's most important, like just getting all that clarity so that you aren't overspending and you're not stretching yourself in and then causing all that other stress, like you said, with your relationships and all of those things. So knowing what are your goals long-term and what can you comfortably afford that's not going to stress you out when you make those really important decisions. Yes, you're not right. Worrying. We worry so much too about just always getting the next better, better, bigger, better thing. And yeah, and everything in general. But I love that. Thank you so much for all this. You shared so many good tips. I was taking notes over here. I wrote down energy. Wow. <laughs> energy, but thank you. So where can people find more information about you? All the yeah, so, all that so my name is, like you say, my brand, it just inherently became. So Tara Marie Murphy is my Instagram and my website is taramariemurphy.com. I have tons of free resources. Like I try and give as much as I can, you know, free resource guide. I have free money challenges. I have a free mailing list. I have free masterclasses as often as I can because I really want to provide the teachings that we didn't get in school in our childhood, whatever, to people. So Everybody can find that over there on TikTok, on Instagram, on, you know, my website. And I always am open. Anybody who's listening and has a question, you know, I'm not the type of person that's like, well, I'll answer that if you book a one-to-one, you know, like we'll do a plan if you book a one-to-one, but I'm always, always happy to answer questions, like, you know, clear things up for people, explain to people, you know, money in relatable ways, because that's my whole MO is let's understand it, not just know the definition. So yeah, I encourage everybody to reach out. Emily, I'm so grateful and blessed to have had this conversation with you. You are a force on your own. So I feel honored to be in the same kind of category Uh and such a great conversation. And I hope that it helps even one thing that I have said, or you have said helps one person. I feel like we've done, you know, what we meant to do. 
hundred percent. All right, everybody go give her a follow, reach out to her and jump on those free resources so that you can change the way that you see, that you value money, that you operate with it and change how you're going to build that wealth. All right. Thanks again, Tara, for joining us today. I'm going to link all your stuff down below so everybody can find it easily. Thanks for having me. 